Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan, and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana share their stories. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Adrian Vogt and John Arnold from MTX Group. Through the episode, we discuss the rise of managed services across the Salesforce ecosystem. We cover who can benefit from managed services, what companies should be aware of, and why internal teams should not fear external managed service partners. I hope that you enjoy the episode. Adrian, John, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for hosting. Pleasure to be here. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. So it's quite rare, actually, we have um, consulting partners as a group, two people from one consulting partner. We, you know, we've had a few people from different partners over the years, but um, I, I wanted to get you guys on the show to talk about the current climate and what we're seeing. And, you know, historically, we've, we've seen a lot of implementations. Um, you know, that's typically been the business model of a lot of partners, but the market's a bit tighter than we've seen over the last couple of years. You know, there's, um, there, there's a lot has happened since COVID and, um, and the global economy and, and things like that. So what I wanted to understand is uh, from the partner perspective, what you're seeing at the moment from demand from customers aside from implementations. And, um, and then we'll get into some further discussion around some of the services that you offer and why they're taking off in the market. So maybe John, with yourself, um, in the current climate, what are you seeing as demand? Um, aside from just, you know, your standard implementation services? Yeah, so it's kind of a combination of things. So there's still project work going on, you know, people that are in the Salesforce ecosystem. But where you see legacy equipment coming, you know, services coming to market, so particularly of late, a lot of Microsoft, Silverlight, that kind of stuff, which has gone end of life, end of sale, end of support. So organizations have got no choice but to move. There's a whole wrap of questions come, comes around it, you know, wanting to know about the operating costs and how do they support it and what kind of ways can they consume stuff like that. And then the other piece related is, you know, less about tech these days and more about business outcomes. You know, how do we get better operating efficiencies? How do we deliver a better service? You know, if you can't nail that part, then not a whole lot seems to happen. You said there obviously are still projects around, which is is great to hear. Like you know, I think if you speak to to some job seekers in the market, they they kind of feel that there aren't lots of new initiatives taking shape. But are you seeing also a shift in uh, how customers are, especially if we focus in on Salesforce, are looking to maintain what they have or squeeze the juice, I guess, from from their investments? Yeah, it's a kind of a combination of things. So. You know, I think there was organizations that got into Salesforce pretty quickly and then did a bunch of stuff and perhaps wasn't fully optimized or it wasn't fully documented or fully aligned to, you know, what a future state should be. It's replicate or make a slight tweak on the way through. Kind of operated velocity is maybe the best way to describe it. You know, as things have settled down a little and also, you know, people are looking more at costs and other things, it is, you know, is this actually being done right? Has it been optimized? And it's probably also overlaid with, you know, whoever did the implementation, whether it was in-house or a partner or long gone, they're off to the next thing. And, you know, there's a crew that's in operate mode trying to work out how the hell does this thing work? And is it doing what, you know, it's doing some things that perhaps we hadn't appreciated or there was a seasonal update that's happened and it seems to have broken something, what's going on? So it's that kind of stuff. So and it kind of reflects the market in general. I think there's this tension between, 
you know, there's a cadre out there that love doing new and exciting stuff. And you know, here's the latest functionality. And, you know, there's all kinds of great stuff I can implement. And then, you know, there's those that are more in operate mode. We're trying to stabilize things, get it better enabled to business, bed things in so they can build other services on top and, you know, clean up crew, call it what you want. You know, it's like, we've got to get this thing operationalized. We've got, you know, it's now mission critical. We've built stuff on top of it. We need to have a solid bedrock and an understanding of how things work. It needs to be documented. When we go to touch it, we understand impact rather than let's change it and see what breaks, see who yells. I think those days are, you know, come to an end. Yeah, makes sense. And Adrian, um, I know this is an area that you've been focused on for a while, and uh, we're we're starting to hear a lot more about uh, managed services, which is is going to be um, quite a topic for today because it's an interesting one. Like I, I know managed services have been around for a long time since uh, the beginning of IT. I guess there's been someone supporting it, but it's only from my my experience or my observations in the market, it's only been more recently that all of the partners have started talking about managed services. I wondered if that was because there weren't as many projects around or new kind of initiatives. I thought maybe that's a way of, you know, covering revenue and, and bringing in new opportunities for companies. But it does seem to be, uh, you know, an avenue that a lot of companies are getting benefit from. So what kind of companies do need some sort of managed services support or should be considering some sort of managed services support from a partner? I think the thing with managed services and, and why there's been growth and what we have experienced over the last couple of years was due to COVID, there was quite a lot of uncertainty in the market about what was happening, where companies were going. But through having a managed service, it allowed them to continue to innovate, but on a smaller scale. So, you know, a managed service need not necessarily just be about break-fix support. You know, traditionally, I think that that's the view of, of a managed service is whoever's available in the partner will just pick it up and run with it. Whereas partners in general are now looking to kind of how can we really streamline the managed service practice to actually be able to help with innovation? We could be looking at smaller kind of micro projects rather than the big bang implementation, which was kind of what kept a lot of partners going over the years of COVID. And then through showing the success of that has allowed companies to just continue innovating, you know, with every implementation at the end of it. And we're, we're currently dealing with a customer where they post implementation. It's now at a UAT phase. They were looking more at a, at a waterfall than an agile based implementation. And now they've got a backlog already of stuff to fix. So we've already got a backlog to start looking at from the managed service perspective of, you know, we've assessed it, we've prioritized it. We can start adding value like almost immediately. And it's not necessarily just bug fixing. As for what organizations benefit most, look, small to medium because of the, the high cost of having a highly skilled team. A managed services team, well, we've got experts in all clouds across, across integration. We've even got, you know, developers on that can work on websites, not just on experience cloud. So you could tap into this whole network of people, you know, rather than having to then recruit a larger team. 
Yeah, which I think is very uh, interesting for people right now with the cost of, of Salesforce salaries going up. And I think they've stabilized now. But like, if you look over the last couple of years, it was increase after increase. And, um, and that must have uh, been challenging for a lot of those smaller and medium partners. One thing you mentioned there is like um, anyone, pick, like historically, anyone kind of picking up the support when they weren't on a project. Now, that's something I've seen as well in the past. And, and even for like pre-sales, as an example, we used to see the pre-sales would be done by the consultants or the architects that weren't engaged on a project. And and that's becoming like a function of its own within partners as well. But how, how have you seen um, managed services not just be a revenue increaser for you as a business, but also give you the ability to upskill new employees? Yeah, a good question. We are not only upskilling our own people. That's critical. We had a, an associate program and we had a lot of the guys start off through working with the managed service team. Most of our team have an average of five years experience across multiple industries, multiple accounts. So wh- why not leverage that experience? And that, that helps form, formulate the associates who, who then we can kind of rapidly move some of these graduates through into project roles because they've stayed with the team. We've also helped clients We've got an example of a person who was kind of brought in because of the demand as an internal system administrator. We helped her and she became certified because she could, she was leveraging the experience of the team. They were then guiding her through questions and answers. So it becomes a synergy. We would prefer that people aren't seen, we're, we're not seen as a vendor supplier, that we're actually viewed as kind of becoming part of the team. You know, if you've got an idea, what better way to run that idea past than a group of experienced people? That's interesting. You mentioned that around like companies having existing teams. And I know that's obviously one of the, the benefits of, like you mentioned before, like not necessarily needing a big team if you've got a partner that can support you and, and kind of plug in where you have gaps. But I've historically always thought of, of managed services being the solution for a company that doesn't have an internal team. But you actually, you've, you've um, raised a good point there. It actually, you know, an internal Salesforce team shouldn't necessarily fear a managed service provider if they're seen as a partner rather than someone that's looking to replace them. Have you seen that as well? Absolutely. And I think you know, going back to, to the example of the Department of Education, we complement each other. If you looked at all the skills that we could offer, I mean, your, the salary bills would be, you know, in the hundreds of thousands in contrast to you could tap into specialized skills, but we still need a person in the business that can work with us. Now, one of the big things, especially now with the Salesforce recruitment market is people are leaving companies because they don't, they're doing mundane. It's not interesting. It's not great stuff. So why not have our team working on the back end and then allowing the customer's team to actually go and work with the business on initiatives? Actually, and then also come up with design. We'll then work through the design and we'll go, okay, maybe tweak that, tweak this. So we're actually working as a, as a team. They then thinking, well, actually, you know, I'm enjoying this. I'm learning, I'm working with the business, I'm adding value, whereas traditionally a lot of Salesforce admins and some developers don't feel part, like they're adding value, they just feel that they're doing business as usual. John, um, 
there will there'll be companies out there that have never entered into an agreement like this you know they've never considered managed services and maybe that's because they've never really needed any support like they've they've had a kind of fairly vanilla salesforce environment that they've then just kind of done some work on and now they find themselves in the position they need someone you know looking after that long term or they've kind of you know might have lost someone in their team need to plug a gap or or even just you know bigger volume of work coming through and need to plug some holes what what should a, a customer have in mind when they are considering like a managed service agreement like are there any things to watch out for any red flags yeah look there's a combination of things right so you know i think you touched on it earlier you know, hey i've got some pre-sales consultants not doing any kind of big project work at the moment i'll throw them on this until something comes along you know the typical way some organizations sell a managed services, you get a block of hours, you know, we'll give you 40 hours a month or whatever it happens to be and, you know, use it or lose it. And it's whoever's available at the time will pick up your request and kind of process it. You know, that works to a level, but it's not ideal. You know, particularly if you interact with organizations that have a bunch of them, you're just a number in the queue and you actually burn a chunk of time going, here's who I am, this is my environment, this is where it's up to. Probably a bit like the old days of the Microsoft managed support services. You know, you spend half your time authenticating yourself, running through a bunch of pretty basic questions before they'll actually get into the detail with you. That's not ideal when you're under pressure and you need to make things happen. So you want to really dig into how does that block work? You know, does it have flexibility? Because this month there might not be a lot on. Next month there's a seasonal update. There's a lot of stuff that needs QAing and checking. So those kind of flexes and spikes or we're about to launch a campaign, you know, and we need to fix a few things before we do it. So it's that kind of stuff. Also, the people that I'm going to be accessing, how well do they know my environment? You know, are they able to give me insightful advice or is it just kind of the vanilla stuff? Do you have dedicated or named resources? Because if you're going to be working with them over 12 months, they should get to know your business pretty well. And towards the end, you should be able to have good shorthand conversations. Hey, that thing we were talking about, it's not quite right. Can you look at it and do something? And if I'm a new guy, it's like, I don't understand a word you just told me. So it's kind of working through that. And you know, my, my suggestion is if you're looking at one, there's quite a few options out there. So you want to interview and get kind of understand how they adjust to your needs. It's not a, you know, here's my T-shirt, my managed service, one size fits all sign here and you get what you get. You know, if you're a small, medium, large enterprise, you have slightly different needs. And, you know, if you're a, a charity versus a financial services organization, the kind of support you're needing is probably very different as well. So how well does the organization adapt to give me the kind of things I need? You know, that's kind of really important. The other one, I've been in industry 30 years. You know, you've seen the, particularly with the big end of town sometimes, the crew that comes in and gives you the pitch and, you know, tells a very impressive story. And then, you know, they've taken you out to lunch and wind and dined you and all that good stuff. And then the crew that shows up to do delivery in a site, I don't recognize anyone. Where'd these guys come from? So making sure that you actually understand the crew that you're getting. Have I met them? Are they the people that were in the pitch? So they know what they've signed up for. And that's kind of pretty important, I think. And then just understanding the, you know, the contractual arrangement, you know, should be pay as you go. So monthly, so you can smooth out the expenses. Finance always love that. But also, you know, what's the exit clauses look like? If this relationship's not working, is it a 
handcuffed to the waist for the next three years or is there a way to tweak this thing? You know, whether it's divorce and we both shut up shop and leave town or, you know, how do we have a, a sit down and thrash out a better way of operating? You know, as we've developed a better understanding of our changing needs, you know, how flexible are you going to be to help us do that? I think all that kind of stuff's important because, you know, whilst you can save money implementing a managed service, it's got to deliver real value. And it's not just to you, you know, the CFO and IT and the business need to look at it and go, this is something that's really helping us with our business agility and getting outcomes. Yeah, that's an interesting point on on like the, the contractual agreement. Like, is there a standard term on a, a managed service agreement for for anyone that's never entered into one? Is it like a 12-month thing or? No, I think there's as many options as there are companies out there. So 12 months is probably a normal kind of arrangement. But, you know, some organizations want to do a bit more like a try and buy. And it's, you know, so there's, there's a range of things and it's really about negotiating or finding an organization that has flexible models that suit your need. You know, some partners maybe really only do financial services work. So trying to get them to help you with your charity um, because they've got some spare guys on the, on the, in the cupboard may not be a good fit for you medium long term. We've, we've touched on cost saving, but in the current climate where price and, and obviously savings are high on the agenda, have you seen companies um, benefiting from looking at things like a license reviews or, uh, uh, you know, the org audit, the, the Trojan horse, as some, some call it. Yes. <laughs> like, are you seeing those kind of services actually paying off in, in terms of like, not just value add, but cost savings and, and, um, and benefits? Yeah, there's kind of a combination. So I guess in what was the mad sprawl over the last couple of years where licenses were bought for all kinds of things, you know, somebody may have left the organization and that wasn't really the strategy anymore. We're now doing more in this cloud instead or that team's downsized or whatever it happens to be. But, you know, when these bills are coming in monthly, they aren't necessarily well understood. So getting in there and looking at it and going, is it optimized, right-sized? You know, there may have even been a new Salesforce product that, you know, if you combine these two, you actually get a saving anyway. So I know that we've, in the last little while, Clients have funded the managed service out of the savings from licensing. You you can't promise that for everybody, but certainly making sure that you've optimized your licensing and you've done an audit. So if finance asks the question, you can go, nope, we've got good utilization rates. Um, That gives them the confidence to look at when you need to put your hand out for other money, they see that you're spending it wisely. But also, I like to use analogies. You know, if you've got a managed service that's doing regular updates and, you know, tweaking your services and streamlining it, your instance is running pretty good. You know, if you've banged it in and no one's touched it for a couple of years, now it's time to, you know, it's going to break in the next update or the business needs something done. And suddenly there's this huge backlog of things you need to fix beforehand. And now you've got to shell out for a large project to make it happen. Those kind of hiccups in the cash flow, finance groups generally don't like that a lot. And so you can kind of avoid that kind of work, which is really good. You know, the ability to access specialist skills in a cost-effective way, you know, if it's baked into a predictable every month, you know, we've got 40 hours this month, we're going to use experienced cloud guys rather than service cloud or whatever it happens to be. That's kind of a, a good thing. You know, it's not just the cost of the environment. It's also if this platform went down because of errors, there was poor change management or whatever, 
what's the cost to the business? You know, unable to transact for four hours or, you know, whatever it happens to be, you know, there's significant costs like that. Some organizations have had a bunch of issues in the past, put a managed service in and they go, right, you know, we've had, you know, we had five or six instances last year, this year we've had none or whatever it is. You do the maths on that and it's like, there's a significant saving right there. The other piece is, you know, if you can lower your turnover in staff because they're more focused on things they enjoy doing and business benefit. Sorry, Ben, but you can lower your recruitment costs, you know, <laughs> that budgeting because you're not having to get a new guy every six months, that kind of thing, which is, you know, it adds up over time. Yeah, it sure does. And, and that's definitely been a challenge we've seen across the ecosystem over the last uh, few years. If we look at that retention piece, that, that can be a challenge for all partners there, right? Are you finding that when, like, is that a difficult thing on the partner side as well when people are doing managed services? Yeah, it can be because there's probably three lots of people, right? There's those that love building stuff and they generally don't love doing the documentation. So, you know, we've all seen it, great project. And then the bit client goes, so where's the documentation for how this thing was built and use it? And it never gets completed to spec, right? Because the guys that are really good at building, you know, I'm sure there's unicorns out there, but they're hard to find. So, you know, there's individuals who love building, but there's also people out there that love that whole operate mode and, you know, bedding stuff down and writing stuff up. You know, I'm married to a lawyer who likes the dot I's and cross T's, which I admit is not my strength. Being able to segment work that way and get the right people doing the right stuff and, you know, being honest, I think most people in clients, they're more from the first group than the second group. Having a mob that comes in that likes doing that kind of work, um, you know, we've got a bunch of people like that. And you know, also it's all the wraparound, you know, the change management piece and the, you know, the cab piece, the approvals for updates, you know. There's, you know, a bunch of people that love doing all that stuff and prepping it and getting business sign-offs on stuff. It's necessary work. And, you know, the right people doing it, it's critical to success. So having people do that work for you is really good. And then the third mob is, you know, the bit I think Adrian talked to. There's people that want to get in the industry any way they can, and often they'll get in in that second group, but they want to see progression and career path. So, you know, we have the ability here to mentor them and take them on a journey till they get to the skill sets they need. And then either we can hire them as professional consultants you know, occasionally a client goes, look, we'll have that guy now. If you don't mind, hand him over. You know, it's a career path thing. You know, part of the commitment I think our, our management's made is that whole, you know, contributing to development of skills and people, depending what you see, it's what, going to be a 20,000 person skill shortage or whatever. We can get people in in a cost-effective way because they can see a real career path, particularly in some small organizations. They're like, come in, we're doing a really exciting project. Be great for your career. And it is for six months and then it's done. And then the operational noise starts, which they don't enjoy. And they're now looking for the next sugar hit and that business can't do it right then and there. You know, they maybe they got one in three, six months once it's bedded down, but now they lose the guy with all the IP because they didn't stick around. And this is a way to kind of smooth that out and perhaps even keep that person. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And Adrian, you we, we've t- talked on um, some of the internal employees at customer bases not being necessarily like massively enjoying some of the the more mundane kind of keep lights on, you know, the, I guess, general housekeeping of a Salesforce org. And, and I, I find that that interesting because, you know, that's definitely right in some of the conversations I have with candidates, like, you know, they, they don't want to just do be doing the basic stuff. They're, they're excited by the, you know, the, the transformational stuff. Um, whether they're using a partner for managed services or not, they, they have an internal team. What are some of those real core housekeeping tasks that every customer should be considering with if they have a Salesforce org? One of the things that I found was I went out to meet one of our partners offshore. I was amazed at the quality of some of the resources, you know, and that common misconception is, well, yeah, that's good. Why are you working in support? And the, the reason is, one of these guys, he's a, he was like, because it's, it's interesting because I'm, I'm dealing with multiple clients with different problems. You know, I'm not just delivering one set of requirements. I'm working on, I'm working with multiple people and the things that, things that kind of add the value to, you know, just to the break fixes, seasonal updates. How many Salesforce orgs break after the mandatory Salesforce seasonal update? We'll, we take a sandbox. We'll do a full regression test. We manage sandboxes. We've got DevOps tools, GitLab, GitHub. Use us, you know, use those tools. So we do automatic regression testing. We do an org review, especially if, you know, to point earlier, especially if we take over from another partner who's left, we'll go and look at the code coverage is something that constantly prevents, you know, smooth deployments to production. And if you if you're working on a, a deployment a month, you want to make sure that you don't have hiccups every month. So we'll fix the code coverage. Why not leverage the experience of the team and use us to assess your backlog, t-shirt size it for you, help you prioritize it so that you're getting the best value. You know, we're not just delivering, you know, to hear shouts louders. We're delivering actual business outcomes and business value. For it to be successful, have a consistent process, operations process. Define that process with the customer before you actually start support so that everybody's, everybody knows who's doing what and how and when and what tools you're going to use to deliver it. So that someone's not going, oh, what do I do? How do I do it? When do they deploy? What, how do we lock tickets? Define the business process and or the, the engagement process and ensure that it's, that it works for you, you know, to the point of interview the partner before. Talk about how we're going to engage and how that's going to happen and, you know, provide them with a clear process. Yeah. Related to that, one thing I've seen with clients that do this well versus not is, you know, you often see where the sales force or the IT team in the business, there's a little bit of conflict and frustration with, you know, prioritization of needs and whatever. But if you've sat down with the business and mapped out the requirements, often there's dependencies. You know, we can't build this or we can't do this till that's done. But that's not necessarily well articulated. So the business doesn't appreciate that or hasn't been educated enough. If you sit down with that roadmap and, you know, you have your running list of requirements and they're staging, you know, we've got to do group A before we can touch B because of these dependencies. And if you get those kind of comms going, it can make a huge difference to 
you know, your work environment. You know, everybody is more cooperative and gets on because they have a better understanding of the way things need to happen versus, you know, hey, I'm a guy, I want my outcome and I've been waiting six months. What the hell's going on? The noisiest person gets looked after, but they don't necessarily understand the impact they're having. And so mapping that stuff out and obviously anyone that's doing good managed service, that's essential if you want to maintain a long-term client. But that's a skill set that I think a lot of organizations can really benefit from and internalize. It's interesting. Um, just on some of the things you've mentioned there, like uh, I've, I've spoken to a couple of clients recently that are looking at this whole like service management and support model at the moment. And, and all of the things you've said are, are like aligned to what they've said around documentation about like, how do you actually document a requirement, like a change requirement or a support ticket? Like, what does that look like? And they're, they're looking at the world of like ITIL and um, how that potentially comes into the Salesforce space. Like, and that's never really been something we've, we've heard about before. Like, I've, I've never heard anyone really mention ITIL and, and Salesforce together until recently. Do you see that evolving? Like, do you see more and more of that kind of structured service management coming into the, the Salesforce space? Yeah, absolutely. And this is, this is one of the things that we, we've actually leveraged Salesforce Service Cloud, which is, you know, out the box, an industry leader in case management. So we've used and we provide, I want to say community license, but I'm, I'm moving with the times. We give them an experienced cloud license so they can, they can log on to the portal. We give them dashboards. They can see hours used. They can see ticket, which goes through the Salesforce, you know, service cloud case management process. We leveraged, you know, the automations that come with the service cloud. So it's absolutely, I think for you to be running an efficient service, why not utilize the tools um, and make, because, you know, the, the days of emailing support at somebody.com and then finding out like, Oh, you know, I logged a P1 ticket with you about three days ago. I've not heard a word. No, it's possibly no one's monitoring the the sandbox. So why not use the tools? And we definitely, as a, as a Salesforce partner, we definitely leveraging that. Yeah. Even simple stuff. I mean, P1s people know about and tend to yell, but hey, you know, this form's not right. Can you adjust it or whatever? They've logged a ticket and it got fixed a week ago, but because no one told them, they hadn't known and they're sitting around kind of frustrated and for no good reason. So having an ability to kind of queue and manage and stage or say, yep, and we're going to do that, but we're about to roll out a new jot form or whatever it happens to be, and then this will get done, you know, that staging thing. So you got to wait two weeks, but you're going to have a way better form or, you know, we're going to eliminate this downstream manual step. Then the, you know the users are like, oh that's good I'll wait three weeks because that sounds really good yeah you can totally drive a different thing and you know I came from you know a telco world where idle is everything and you know I was kind of surprised at the immaturity here and particularly in the current climate there's a real demand you know from the business for outcomes and you've really got to get idle aligned if you want to thrive I think and we we provide a level of governance as well so. You know, we've got someone you can talk to. We call them a customer success manager, not because we don't want to call them project managers, but we actually want them to not just be about ensuring tickets are processed within SLAs, but the customer success manager is there to build that relationship to ensure that if this is working for them through having this level of governance. We have weekly cadence meetings 
which you could talk about tickets that are open and it's a forum. So it then allows the customer to feel like, okay, we, we are in this together and I can start working with the business because now I've got confirmation from you that this will be ready to be deployed in the next production deployment. So it really does help them plan and with change management. It's really interesting to hear all of this because it's not the, the sexiest of topics around managed <laughs> services, but it's um, with the growth of the Salesforce ecosystem, the scale and you know the importance now that companies have put on Salesforce to, to run their businesses, like it's, it's key, right? And we're seeing more and more of this. So if anyone is listening and wants to ask any questions around you know, what you guys do or, or um, the, just the, the, the function of a managed services team, um, where's the best place to find you? On the MTX Australia website, we do have a managed services link that you can go to. It'll create a, it'll create a case. It'll then notify us and we can contact you or else I'm happy to provide my phone number. Yeah. And I'm glad you didn't say support at mtx.com.au then. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. And uh, are you on LinkedIn? If anyone's got questions there, is that? I am. Absolutely. Yeah. Always love a good connect on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your time and um, yeah, all the best. Thanks very much, Ben. Thanks very much for the invites. I really appreciate it. So that's a wrap for this week's episode. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat. And if you did, please make sure you have subscribed for future episodes that are coming through. I would also be very grateful if you would consider leaving a review on your chosen podcast platform as five-star reviews will help us to reach more trailblazers from across the world. I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon and thanks again.